I want to start with a testimony of my own uh, this morning. As Nancy had already mentioned, we were at the county fair yesterday. I was kind of there by surprise in that uh, we've been in, in contact with the Oregon Right to Life for some time. And they contacted Nancy, said they had some openings for the booth at the county fair, wanted to know if she would be able to help them uh, man the uh, booth. And so she went to the meeting to find out how uh, that was to be uh, executed. <clears throat> and I asked her to check, well, make sure that you find out what kind of security they're going to be providing. This is not a right-to-life state we're in. This is more pro-choice. And uh, I've seen what goes on downtown Portland. I didn't want her in any kind of situation like that. So she came back. She said, well, I did you win better. I volunteered you. <laughs> so we went down yesterday, and I was very pleasantly surprised by the number of people that came to the booth and were very positive about support for the Oregon uh, Right to Life movement. Uh, even those that didn't come to the booth, a lot of them passed by with a thumbs up, letting us know that they were there. Some came by to thank us for being there. We handed out uh, what we have. One of the things that we had that I brought this morning was we had these little packets, and they have a little 12-week-old uh, sized baby in this little packet that we handed out. I'm guessing we handed out 60, 70, 80 of these to all kids. These were free handouts. I'm going to hand this around so you can see it. But uh, this is 12 weeks development. Everything that, that a person needs is in place at 12 weeks. Hair, eyelashes, fingernails, all body parts. They just need time to develop uh, in the mother's womb. The, the baby is complete. So I'm going to hand this, uh, or hand this over to Tom. He can kind of start it around. And you can see what this is size-wise. Some of the kids really love getting these. Okay, this morning, knowing that I was coming in uh, after uh, the presentation by the Gideons, uh, what I have for you this morning is not a message, it's a lesson that I have. One of my uh, favorite books over the years is What the Faith is All About by Dr. Elmer Towns. Uh, I'm, I'm plagiarizing him today. <laughs> I'm bringing out his chapter on the names of God. And uh, by way of introducing you to him as well, I'm, I'm uh, letting you know that uh, Dr. Towns has a website where there is a lot of free literature, and this entire book is a free download if you would like to have it. It's on basic doctrines of the Bible, and it's been a foundational book for, for me for many, for many years, and so um, that's why I'm bringing it to your attention this morning. The names of God. Why, why have a lesson on the names of, of God other than the fact that he is God and, and he is the one we worship? But what significance is there to that? And we have a, a little bit more difficult time understanding the significance here in our particular time frame because names are pretty much just handles. They're a way of distinguishing uh, me from Tom or, or Chris or 
anyone else here. When I hear my name, I know they're talking to me, but that's about all it means. In the Old Testament, that was not so. I mean, who remembers the definition of the name Ichabod? Ichabod in 1 Samuel, after the, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines and uh, the uh, head priest's sons had been slain. And he fell over backwards, died when uh, he heard the news. And his daughter-in-law, who had just delivered, named her son Ichabod, for she said, the glory has departed. You know, we don't name our kids Ichabod, <laughs> you know. Uh, we don't name them Nero either for pretty much the same reason. Uh, names have had meetings. And so the, the meanings of, of God's names in the Old Testament were ways in which he revealed to us different characteristics about himself that he wanted us to know. So I'm going to go through very specifically. I did a lot of copying and pasting here because most of what he said was very concise, detailed, and again, this is, this is a lesson, not a message, and uh, I'd like you to kind of take it in that vein as we look at it. So the names of God, from Psalm 72, 17, it says, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Again, Psalm 72, 17. By way of introduction, the names are, names are important. Someone has said the sweetest sound in any language is the sound of a person's own name. The scriptures record hundreds of names and titles given to God. These names not only identify God, but reveal something about his character and nature. Much of the truth of God is capitalized in his names. Therefore, an understanding of God's names will deepen our reverence and love for him. Now, as you noticed in that first paragraph of introduction, he mentioned that there are hundreds of names of God, and there are books written on them. I'm not bringing hundreds of names this morning. <laughs> I, I, uh, the, the chapter has 13 uh, primary main names of God that present God to us in different ways. The first one is Elohim. And I'll spell each one so that if you're taking notes, you can write them down. Elohim is E-L-O-H-I-M, which is translated in our Bible, God. And again, uh, remember, these are Old Testament names, so all of these are translated into English and are not as concise as they would be if we were reading them in the original Hebrew. But we're, not reading, we're reading them in English. The most common designation for deity in Scripture is God, or Elohim. The Hebrew word for God, uh, Elohim, this term comes from two other Hebrew words, El, meaning strong one, and Om, meaning to swear or bind with an oath. Therefore, God is the strong one who manifests himself by his word. His name is used, or this name is used over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God or Elohim, Psalms 90 and verse 2. The second most common name uh, given in the Bible is uh, Jehovah, which is, uh, we translate as Lord. An unusual problem confronts the study of this second name of God. We really are not sure how to pronounce it. Some scholars say Yahweh, but others say Jehovah. And of course, the Jehovah Witnesses, we know which one they picked. 
To distinguish it from another Hebrew word also translated Lord, Jehovah is the most, is most Bible translated, uh, translates it as Lord using all capital letters. So when you're looking at capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you're looking at Jehovah or Yahweh. The reasons we are not sure of its pronunciation stems from the reverence Jewish scribes gave to it. No one would pronounce it out of fear of offending God. Talk about reverence. Do we have that type of reverence for God today? This word Jehovah means to be or become. It comes from the verb to be, repeated twice. Jehovah means I am, I am. This is the name whereby God identified himself at the burning bush in Exodus 3.14. This name speaks of both the self-existence of God and his eternity. God is the only one who can say, I am. I exist by myself, independent of any other. He can always say, I am, because he always was in the past and always will be in the future. Jehovah is used about 4,000 times in the Bible, usually in association with his people. It is called the covenant name of God, as it is often used to identify God in his covenants. And we see this in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, in Genesis chapter 3, 14 through 19, in Genesis 4, 15, Genesis 4, uh, or excuse me, Genesis 12, Verses 1 through 3. The third name that we have for you this morning is Adonai. Adonai, or Lord, uh, is the third name used by, of God in the scriptures. Uh, usually translated Lord in our English Bibles. Only the first letter is capitalized with Adonai, uh, Lord. So that would be the, when we see that as just capitalized on the L, we know that uh, is using this particular word. This was first used by Abraham as he sought the, the will of God in adopting an heir in Genesis 15.2. So this was the first mention of it, Genesis 15.2. The term indicates the sovereignty of God. If he is master, then we are his servants. So this points out to that relationship of master-servant. Yes, Nancy. I did not spell them. Okay. All right. Jehovah was J-E-H-O-V-A-H. Adonai is A-D-O-N-A-I. Thank you. So the term indicates, again, the sovereignty of God and him as master and we as servants. So this gives us a, a, a distinct relationship uh, between us and God. Uh, compare that with some of the other pagan religions. Uh, there was not this type of, of relationship with them. They were less than servants. Of all the names used of God, Adonai identifies him with the qualities of an earthly master. Hence, it gives human characteristics to God. The word Adonai also implies the possibility of knowing the will of the master. Abraham used the name as he sought to determine a course of action. So this, would, this I think it's interesting to note 
that in the Old Testament, depending on what the purpose was for their prayer, determined what name for God they used in the prayer. And so God used, or excuse me, Abraham used this name in seeking God's will. I think we just, in, in uh, the New Testament era, we just looked at Jesus. All things start and end in our Lord. Those are the primary, three primary names of God. Then there are compound names of, uh, of God. Con the compound names of Elohim. The first one is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. That's E-L space S-H-A-D-D-A-I. And this is the almighty God. The primary names of God are sometimes used with other names to identify a specific characteristic of God. The name El Shaddai means the almighty God. This name speaks of God's all-sufficiency. The term Shaddai means rest or nourish. It comes from the root word that means breast or strength given or sustainer. Though translated, translated the Almighty God, it also means the all-sufficient God. Isn't, isn't it good to know our God is all-sufficient in supplying our needs? The next compound name is El Elyon. E-L space E-L-Y-O-N. El Elyon. The Most High God. This name is used to identify God particularly to polytheistic Gentiles. The idea in this name is that the true God of Israel was above all other false gods of the Gentiles. This title is first used in the scriptures to identify Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, El Elyon, in Genesis 4.18. And the, the third compound name we have for Elyon is El Olam, El Olam. E-L space O-L-A-M. The lasting God. The lasting God. In his experience with God, Abraham also came to know him as the everlasting God in Genesis 21:33. This name indicates God is not limited by time, for he is eternal. Moses wrote, from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God, in Psalms 90, in verse 2. The name El Olam personifies the eternity of God as part of his nature. He is at all points and times throughout eternity. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. I am, identifying that he is also at all points of time. The compound uh, names of Jehovah, let me give you those. The first one is Jehovah Sabbath, Jehovah Sabbath, and that's uh, again Jehovah, J-E-H-O-V-A-H, space, capital S-A-B-A-O-T-H. The Lord of Hosts. This name emphasizes the power and glory of God, the Lord of Hosts is used in the Bible to refer to heavenly bodies in Genesis 2.1, angels in Luke 2.13, saints in Joshua 5.15, and sinners in Judges 4.2. It implies the power of the heavenly beings who serve the Lord. 
as a Lord of hosts, God is working through all these hosts to fulfill his purpose. The Christian can be encouraged today as he claims the promise, the Lord of hosts is with us in Psalms 46 and verse 7. David asked and answered a very important question. Who is this king of glory, the Lord of hosts? He is the king of glory, Psalms 24.10. The expression Lord of hosts is used over 170 times in scripture to identify the Lord. When we think of the Lord, he has control over every realm. He is the Lord of hosts. The next, the next name is Jehovah Jireh. J-E-H-O-V-A-H for Jehovah, space J-I-R-E-H. The Lord shall provide is that meaning. The Lord shall provide. When Isaac asked his father about the sacrificial animal, Abraham responded, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering, Genesis 22, 8. I particularly like that phrase, the way those words are, are put together in that passage because it gives you the double meaning. God will provide for himself a sacrifice and God does provide himself a sacrifice. So even the, the gospel message that Christ died for us was given as the scriptures say to Abraham. He knew what God was capable of doing. Later the same day, God honored the faith of Abraham and, and prevented the death of Isaac providing a ram in his place. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord shall provide in Genesis 22:14. The next name is Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah again spelled the same way and Rapha R A P H A. The Lord that healeth. God always wants the best for his people and in many passages promises not only to heal their land, but provide for them good health. Remember how many times our Lord heals those in need in the Gospels. When he brought Israel out of Egypt, he wanted his people to live full and healthy lives. And then he says this, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do all which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Exodus 15, 26. This name of God emphasizes God's concern for our good health. Eternal life is good health. <laughs> Jehovah Nisi. Jehovah Nisi. Again, Jehovah spelled the same way. Nisi, N-I-S-S-I. The Lord, our banner. When God gave Israel the victory over Amalek, Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi in Exodus 17:15. The name Jehovah Nisi means the Lord is my banner or the Lord that prevaileth. The emphasis of this name for the Christian is that we are not in the battle alone. As soldiers, we, we marched under the banner and colors of God. The battle itself belongs to God. The victory is already guaranteed. The Christian can therefore serve the Lord with complete confidence in the outcome. 
the Lord that prevaileth. The next name is Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord our peace. I bet you knew that one. That's used a lot. The Lord our peace. When God called Gideon to deliver Israel from the oppressive Midianites, Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom, Judges 6.24. The name Jehovah Shalom means the Lord is our peace. The building of that altar before the gathering of an army or forming of a battle plan was an act of faith on Gideon's part. The only way one can know Jehovah Shalom is by faith. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1. As we seek to live for God consistently, the Bible says, The God of peace shall be with you, Philippians 4.9. The next name, the next one is, is, is difficult to, to, to uh, pronounce. I'll, I'll, I'll spell it to you and, and uh, give you what they gave me for pronunciation. Jehovah Sidkinu. Jehovah Sidkinu, and that's Jehovah. The, the Sidkinu is T, capital T, S-I-D-K-E-N-U, and the T apparently is silent. The Lord, our righteousness. When the Lord returns to this world at the end of the age, many Jews will recognize their Messiah and turn to him as Savior. At that time, they will know a, God, a name of God that every Christian knows experientially. The Lord, our righteousness, Jeremiah 23, verse 6. Our admission into heaven is not dependent upon our personal righteousness, but rather the righteousness of God applied to our account. Someday this will also be the experience of the nation of Israel. The Lord, our righteousness, will be the prominent name of God in that day. A lot, a lot of the studies that we did in the past, uh, that we did in the men's studies, that reflected on the millennial reign and the reign of Christ in Jerusalem, uh, a lot of that focused on the attribute of Christ, the righteous God. Jerusalem will be known as the righteous city. Christ's rule will be known as the righteous rule. Righteousness is very important to our God. We need to focus on, on his righteousness and trying to clean up our lives so that we can reflect that message to the world. The last name that I have is Jehovah Shamath, or Shammah. It's Jehovah spelled the same way. And then the next uh, name is capital S-H-A-M-M-A-H. And that is the Lord is there. As Ezekiel concludes his discussion of the eternal city, he records, and the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there, Ezekiel 48, 35. This name of God emphasizes his presence. When God called Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt, he promised, certainly, I will be with thee, Exodus 3, 12. As we are faithful today in presenting a greater deliverance to the lost by preaching and teaching the gospel, Jesus has promised, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Matthew 28, 20. The Lord is present.
So those are the 13 names that I have for you. The last uh, closing portion of this is on taking the name of the Lord in vain. The scriptures have a lot to say about taking God's name in vain. Taking God's name in vain disobeys a biblical command. Taking God's name in vain is commonly identified as cursing and is definitely prohibited in the scriptures. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Exodus 20, verse 7. On at least six occasions in the book of Leviticus, Moses writes, Neither shall thou profane the name of thy God. Leviticus 18, 21. Leviticus 19, 12. Leviticus 20, verse 3. 21, verse 6. 22, verses 2 and 32. That book of the Bible which teaches most about the holiness of God is also that book which reminds us most definitely not to curse. You say, well, do we really need to be reminded about that? And I, I think sometimes we, we tend to take God's name in vain. Maybe not cursing, but we don't give it the respect that we should. Uh, I reflected on a memory that I had uh, with a, another deacon at a church. I was on the deacon board, and we were out playing golf. And the golf course can be a dangerous place. <laughs> we were on one fairway, and somebody uh, uh, drove off a drive from their tee, and the ball came flying over and hit him in the, in the arm, in the shoulder. And he jumped back, it stung, and he swore. And he looked at me, and he said, don't give me that look. If you got hit with a golf ball, you'd swear too. I said, no, it just does not come to, I don't swear, so those words just don't come to me. You know, it's in that moment that what is really buried within, from the multitude of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Uh, it's in that moment that what's there comes out without thought. If a curse word comes out without thought when you hit your nail or excuse your thumb with the, with the hammer pounding a nail, you need, you need to ask yourself a question. Why? Why? God specifically warned the priest not to take his name in vain. Moses was instructed to advise Aaron, uh, Israel's first priest, that they profane not my holy name, Leviticus 22.2. The priest was that individual who represented the people before God. The chief ministry of the priest was prayer. He naturally had a higher view of God than the typical Jew. God specifically told the priest not to desecrate God's name. The New Testament teaches the priesthood of all believers. Every Christian has access by prayer to God directly through the blood of Jesus, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. We are a part of the royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 8. Just as the Old Testament, uh, Testament priests had the highest view of God, so the New Testament priest should have a high view of God. If a Christian priest has a correct understanding of who God is, he will not take his name in vain. Uh, take a look at, at the book of Malachi with that thought in mind. Uh, the people in Malachi's time were not happy because of the way that the priests were treating them and they were using God's name in vain and God was not happy with the priests in the book of Malachi. That's a good one to review for that. Cursing is a characteristic of, de of desperate men. 
During the great uh, tribulation, men who have rejected Christ as Savior will panic in the midst of the judgment of God and blaspheme the name of God. Revelation 16:9. When God allowed Satan to try Job, Job's wife considered the situation desperate and advised Job to curse God and die. Job 2.9. The Christian should not panic in the midst of an apparent desperate situation. Fret not thyselves, Psalms 37.1, is a command every Christian needs to obey daily. Cursing is incompatible with personal holiness. God told, uh, told redeemed Israel, ye shall be holy, for I the Lord your God in, am holy. Leviticus 18.2. In the New Testament, Peter taught his, his converts, As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. 1 Peter 1.15 A Christian cannot practice consistent personal holiness and curse. They shall be holy unto their God and not profane the name of their God. Leviticus 21.6 it is incompatible to try to live for God in our lifestyle and dishonor his name in our speech. In conclusion, God has revealed a great deal about himself in his names. When we actively use his name in vain through cursing or passively by not showing proper respect, we rob ourselves of the blessing of God. As we apply these names of God to our Christian experience, our communion with God will grow deeper and our Christian life will be more fulfilling. I know I've presented a lot of information to you in a short period of time. I hope that you took notes and that you will reflect back on those notes and reflect back on the names of God and realize all the ways in which God has revealed himself to us, all the ways in which we can trust him, all the ways in which we can show forth our love to him, our adoration our worship, our respect. Dearly Father, as we come before you this morning, we do praise you and thank you that you love us and that you, you uh, care to show yourself to us in so many different aspects of your being. Help us to understand these. Help us to have a, a right view and understanding of the God we worship. Help us to understand that it's only through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on our behalf and his giving of his righteousness on, on our behalf that we can enter before you in a right uh, way of worship. Father, we do pray for our pastor as he's away. I pray that you would uh, be with him and his father. Father, we know that from the reading of your names, the desire of your heart towards us, that you wish only good for him and for them. So I pray that you continue to be with them this week and bring them back to us safely. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, Dennis will be in the back. He will have an open Bible. If you would like, you can present an offering to him as we leave our service this morning. Thank you very much.